You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. I've been asked to read from Nehemiah for you. It's chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. Israelites had settled in the, their towns. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from the daybreak till noon, and he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on the right stood Matthew, Shemar, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah and Messiah, and on his left were Bidar, Mishael, Machiam, Basham, Hashbadar, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them, and he opened it. Uh, the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord and their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebah, and all the others instructed the people in the law (laughs) while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, governor Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites to all them all. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. That's it, thank you. Thank you, Chris. That's amazing. So glad I don't have to do the readings. It's like an actual ministry now. So we're we're in a series called Rebuild and Restore. And here we find in Nehemiah chapter 8 an amazing passage. And we're going to be looking at the centrality of God's word. And my goal today is really simple by the power of the Holy Spirit, is that we can get the Bible from the margins to the center again of our hearts and lives. If, if you've found that the Bible, the Word of God, has somehow found a, a place which is being sidelined or on the margins, a bit of dust has been gathering, that we can once again place this at the very, very center of our hearts and our lives. And I think this 
series title, Restore and Rebuild, serves us really well as we try to articulate what we sense Jesus is wanting to say to his church in our time and in our day as we look to rebuild church post-COVID in a a post-Christian culture. What does future church look like for us and for our country? And uh, what Nehemiah 8 clearly brings us is the absolute priority and the centrality of restoring God's word at the rebuild. That is the centrality of his word in the life of us as Christians and indeed in the community, in the church. Uh, Last week we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. And if, if if the spirit of God is like the the wind which powers us along, then the word of God, this Bible, is like an anchor, and we need both. Many churches are known for maybe um, being one or the other, but we want to build a both-and church now and into the future. People full of the Holy Spirit, reliant, dependent on the Holy Spirit, but also anchored in truth and the word of God that's, that's our vision. That's what we want our priority to be, our culture to be, a marriage of those two things. R.T. Kendall puts it so well. We need both the sun and the rain to give beauty and balance in nature. Likewise, we need both the word and the spirit in order to understand God and his ways. The word is like the sun. The spirit is like the rain. One without the other can result in a natural disaster. And I'm sure many of you who have been Christians for a long time will have heard this. It has been said before, all word and no spirit we dry up, all spirit and no word we blow up, but with both word and spirit we grow up. And this is the kind of church that Jesus is building, a mature church where we grow. And I believe passionately that as a future church, we need a revival, we need a renewal we need a renewed hunger for, spiritual, for biblical literacy and to encounter God through his word. And this is what we see when we read this incredible chapter. As we've seen in the previous chapters, it's all been about rebuilding the city's walls and the rebuilding of the city and the challenges that come with that and the opposition that comes with that. But now we see that the rebuild is complete and we see now what is their first priority. It's for spiritual renewal. And the word of God must come first. Yes, the walls are being built for security and their future. But what is of utmost importance to them and indeed us is spiritual rebuilding. We can can put our efforts and our finances into so many things, into projects and programs, but the most important thing is God and his word, first and foremost. So in chapter eight, we have this amazing outdoor meeting. Think outside in the car park. Do you remember who was there during COVID when we had an outdoor meeting in the rain? (laughs) And for those of you there, just imagine that and hundreds of mums and dads and children, people gathering, the community gathering outside. And right in the middle is this uh, wooden platform that's built up high. 
and it's being constructed in the, in the city square at the center. And there's this clear kind of posture at play on this platform, this huge platform, central, it's lifted up, is that the Bible and its authority will be over them. Recently, we, uh, a few weeks ago, we hosted um, a bishop's consecration service. It was absolutely amazing. You can watch it online, YouTube, and it was uh, consecrating bishops in the Anglican communion. And what I found so profound is that there were, there were bishops from around the world, Canada, and Rwanda, and uh, Kenya. It was just incredible. And what they did to these bishops who had been consecrated is they got the Bible and they placed it over their heads. In fact, at one time, he hit the person with the Bible. I thought it was something significant about that. It's like saying, yeah, you, you've, you've been placed by God into a significant responsibility and authority as a bishop. But even you, just to be reminded, must come under the authority of God's word. You sit and stand and live your life under God's word. It was a beautiful picture. And, um, and, and that's really what happens, is happening here. And we have Ezra who enters the story for the first time. And this book of the law is read out loud to all the people. And it's the Mosaic law, and it's referring to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is read out loud because public reading, which is one of the reasons we've introduced this as a church, is to elevate again the centrality of God's word and for the public reading of God's word. It was part of their worship. Now, friends, guess how long this was? Well, the clue is in the reading. Six hours. And some of you complain about a 30-minute sermon. Six hours, men, women, children stood outside, didn't sit down, and they listened to the first five books of the Bible being read out loud for six hours. And no wonder, because actually they had not done anything like this. They basically in our terms, had not done church for over 150 years. So again, just think back to when, really, for I say we could discount 12 months of church life in terms of public gatherings, if you total it all up, during COVID, and how desperate we were to get back together. Imagine over 150 years has gone by, and then this is their first church meeting. And then for six hours, they listen to, and it is um, explained so that they understand God's word. It's an incredible scene. And what is their response afterwards? They bow down and worship God. Wow, that, that, is, that is, if you want to talk about what does revival look like, what does spiritual health look like in a church, is actually, we'll move from a round of applause for Chris to actually getting on our knees and worshiping Jesus. Because we're seeing him through his word. So powerful. And this is what we desperately need in our time and in our day. We need to rediscover the centrality of God's word. We need to bring it back to its rightful 
authoritative place, elevate the word of God once again, and then we meet God. We encounter the living God through his word. Why is this so crucial, especially now, and as we think about the future church? Why? Well, because God's word is currently being neglected. Um, this week, I was in a local college with my eldest, looking at um, six forms and the options of, of subjects. And we were in a classroom, and it was to look at religious studies. And um, the teacher there had a five, ten minute presentation to make to the potential students to inspire you to come and study here and to pick their subject. And I was just sat there with my daughter, and what she was sharing was great. And then suddenly she said something in parenthesis. She said, I just want you to know, in case you didn't, that the Bible is a really poor moral guide and it is full of contradictions. And as she said that, she was angry. And then she just carried on with her speech. And I'm like, was that for my benefit? I don't, I don't know, do you know I'm a... And if I had my daughter there, it might have been a different moment. I would have probably kicked off. Um, but I left it and I thought, God, what are you saying in all of this? And I, I felt like you should give me an illustration for my talk that I'd already written, because he's good like that. And that just shows you that in our society, God's word is being neglected, it's being sidelined. And this is how people view it. And it's on two levels. It's on a macro level, it's on a micro level. And this is why many Christians f neglect God's word because we feel the full force of that combination punch of opposition and a, and a neglect from a macro level out there and also a micro level. And when those two forces meet, no wonder we often struggle to make the Bible central in our lives. There is a battle, isn't there, for truth like I've never, ever seen before. The word of the year, Collins, a few years ago was, surprise, surprise, fake news. Fake news. Verse 13 in this passage onwards talks about something called the Feast of Booths. And um, this was recalling days gone by when the Israelites, they lived in these little huts. And it, they lived in those huts in the time of, of that wilderness um, after the exodus from Egypt. And we, like those people, are living as exiles. We talked about this a lot with the book of Daniel. We are on pilgrimage. We don't belong here. We're strangers, foreigners. Why? Because Christians are lovers of God and lovers of truth. And that is such the antithesis to the culture that we see today. We live in a time where the idea of truth, isn't it, is challenged and contested. It's called a post-truth age. It's the, it's the era of disinformation. It's the era of spin and fact-checking. And once you fact-check, let's fact-check the fact-checks. There are claims and counterclaims. But also on a micro level, not just on a macro level out there, is this our culture, but also on a micro level, one third, uh, they say, of, of CVs carry false information. A third of CVs. The average person lies more than 20 times a day. 
it's almost to the point where I think people have actually given up on the idea of truth. People have become skeptical or even weary that truth could prevail once again. Maybe for us to talk about, we think it's too idealistic to ever think we could elevate truth again. And of course, there's the pull of pluralism where there's no authority. You cannot say that this Bible has authority. I find this when I go into schools. I I cannot speak about God's word as though they assume it has authority over their lives. The pull of relativism where there's like multiple truths. There's not just one truth. There's humanism where we basically don't need God. There's liberalism where we fit our personal truth and we place that onto God and hope he catches up with where we are and culture. Consumerism, where we don't need truth and we don't need God. The increase of your truth. So if I wanted to say that that box of tissues was actually a tub of margarine, you cannot say anything against that because for me, that's true. And it's my truth. So even a sense of objectivity is gone. But what I find fascinating, a global management firm did a survey on the age group 18 to 25s, having done endless amounts of research, analyzing data, and their conclusion globally was what defined that age group right now was their search for truth. So I actually think it's a tremendous opportunity because when we talk about these things, actually what people are desperate for and hungry for is truth. Because truth ultimately sets people free. And people, more than anything, want freedom. And so they're looking for truth. And maybe we've seen all this as a negative, it's a symptom of a post-truth society, but I actually think it's a tremendous opportunity for the church and the gospel. They don't know where to find truth. And we as a church, as a community, have to introduce people to truth, which is a person in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, you can bet everything that you have on me. Even when we find things that are difficult in the Bible, I always say to people, and they get it, people who are far from God, I say, do you know what? I'm really sorry, but I have a relationship with Jesus. I trust Jesus. And above everything, he is someone of truth. He is someone of integrity. And when he says something, I can't just pick and choose what I like and what I don't like. I can't just tip X out the bits that I find uncomfortable. If I'm following him with my whole heart, which I do, I've, I've given him everything. I've laid down my whole life for him and I'm banking on one thing, that what he's saying is true and he cannot lie. And there's great power in that. Jesus said this, my words are spirit and life to those who find it. He is truth. Jesus loved scripture. If you cut scripture down the middle, it bleeds Jesus. If you cut Jesus down the middle, it bleeds scripture. He loved scripture. In his times of greatest challenge, what always came out of his mouth was scripture. This is our plumb line. This is our north star. This is our everything. 
And it's no, is it any wonder that when we commit to this, all hell breaks loose when we commit to elevating and the centrality of God's word? You're watching EastEnders or Coronation Street or whatever your fancy is, and you are wide awake with the storyline, then suddenly you open the Bible, and then you suddenly feel very, very drowsy. What do you think that is? If you didn't realize, it's Satan stopping you opening this word. And the reason is, is because it's like, imagine all the Christmas have gone by and all the presents for you under a tree over years and they're all there, but you've never opened one of them. This is what this word is like. It's a TARDIS of truth and power and freedom. And the reason the enemy doesn't want you to open it is because you will find freedom and truth and power for your life. You'll find an anchor for your soul. You'll find a perspective. You'll find a love for God. You'll find everything. You'll find him speaking over 500 times. You hear it said, God speaks. These aren't just words on a piece of paper. This is his voice that speaks through his word. The Holy Spirit speaking to you, making it come alive, empowering the text. You open your Bible and suddenly your phone hasn't gone off all day and suddenly you get two or three texts and you think, right, I must respond to this. It's work. It's important. It's a friend. They're in need. No, the most important thing is, is you open the word. Pray for your friend and probably and more likely the problem will get fixed. There's a battle for God's word to be over us, to be under us, to be through us as a vehicle of freedom. It is foundational. I think the best way I can, I was trying to think, what is the best way I can communicate with you? What is happening right now is scripts versus scripture. Scripts versus scripture. There is like this daily battle between and for what will be central in our lives This is where we hear God, meet God. It's our daily bread. It's our sustenance. It's not just a menu. It's a meal itself. As we live it out in obedience, it leads to freedom and a transformed life. It's an anchor in the storms of life. But there are competing scripts against scripture. I don't know what your script is right now that is vying for your focus and your attention, that is sidelining this truth. It's different for all of us. But ask God to reveal that to your heart. What is the competing narratives and scripts of your life that is making it difficult to make this central? So how can we make God's word central? Well, the first thing is this, hunger. Hunger comes from the church. Verse 1. They told Ezra to bring out the law. This wasn't being imposed by Ezra or Nehemiah. The hunger existed in the people. Ezra, bring out the law. We've not had anything like this for years. Bring it out. And this is where I I believe where we see the true spiritual health of the church, where it isn't being exhorted and exalted from the front and from leaders, but actually the hunger and thirst is coming from the people. We can't wait for God's word to be opened. 
Those Bibles that we put there at the back, I think we need to put them probably at the front. And we were made a good step by placing Bibles in the church. And I'll, I will go until we get maybe pews installed here and we have those old school th things at the back. Until we get the point, those books shouldn't be there. They should be in our hands. The psalmist said that his word is sweeter than honey. It's a lamp unto our feet. It's a joy in our hearts. It's more valuable than gold. It's a craving more than breath itself. It's God's word. These people were driven to a place of hunger. And so therefore were attentive to listen and to engage and to hear, which is why they stood up for six hours and their response was seen physically saying, amen, let it be so. I know we're not a Pentecostal church, but I appreciate when the ones and twos say amen. Because what they're saying is that yes, this is truth and I want it deep down in my heart. And it led to a lifting up of their hands. These guys were Pentecostal. They showered out amen, they lifted up their hands, they bowed down in worship. Let's not be shy of this because God's word always leads to praise and worship of who he is. That's why this ebb and flow in church of worship, ministry and prayer, communion, of reading God's word, of speaking God's word, of praying for people. This is how it flows when we gather and we should never ever sideline these things. This is my Mine and Joni's greatest desire for us as a church that we would be true lovers of God's word. That we would be hungry for God's word. Because when his word is shared, he moves. And when God moves and he speaks, we're listening. This is why even on a teaching, I prefer to read, go through books of the Bible rather than just do a self-help talk with a footnote to the Bible. I'm not interested in that. There's no power in that. Psalm 1 says it best. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. We talked about with Janice and Carrie Ann about home for tea and about and we're all, we're, all, we're all saying it and we're all feeling it about the economic climate. But when we meditate and we study and we make God's word a priority, whatever they do prospers. And we need to understand that our economy is not based on whatever party does this or does that or whatever prime minister makes that decision or that decision. Our economy is the kingdom of heaven. And thankfully, he's my bank manager. Our souls are stable and they flourish when we have God's word hidden in our heart. Whole of life makes sense. Suffering, sin, the worldview of the Bible makes sense for us. And so, friends, hunger is essential. Because it's all about desire. Yeah, we can, we can have good rhythms set up. We can say, look, yeah, for 10 minutes a day, we're going to 
go through this chapter or this book of the Bible, but we need to know that do we desire God's word over convenience? Do we desire and hunger after his word other than TV and websites and distractions and so that we boundary other things around, things that drain our desire we're not interested in, we keep at bay. So it leads to a personal transformation where our leaf does not wither and we're flourishing from the inside out. We can't control the externals. We can't control much of what happens in life if you think about it. But what we can control is what we place in here. And when we live from the inside out rather than from the outside in and we get God's word into us, that is when power flows. Second thing, priority. Psalm 119 verse 6, do not neglect his word. Sadly, for many of us, I included different stages of my life, we neglect God's word. I can understand it for those who don't know Jesus to neglect his word, but I don't understand when Christians neglect his word. In the imagery of Amos, there is a famine, not of bread, but of hearing the words of God. Up until recently, until they put the catalog all online, the IKEA catalog was the most popular book in our country. Did you realize that? It used to be the Bible. Now it's the IKEA catalog. But I think about that and I think that's free to get, but everything costs inside to furnish your life. This may just cost you a little bit of money or if you come to me, you can have one for free. But it may cost just two, three, four, five pounds from a bookshop at Amazon. But everything inside the Bible is free. Cost Jesus everything, but for us, it's our inheritance that we just need to plunder. And I'd much rather have God arranging the furniture of my life than Ikea. Let me encourage you to prioritize reading God's word. Start anywhere. It may just be opening it up and reading 10 verses a day and saying, God, what are you saying? I encourage you not to use a phone because it's too easy to swipe into something else, Christian Tinder, whatever the popular website is. Let's be real here. You can't swipe God's word in a book. So I'm a bit old school, but I think that's important. So powerful that we've got to prioritize it. Over the years, people have tried, haven't they? To burn it, to ban it, to bury it. Now the enemy wants to undermine it and twist it and play down its authority in our lives. And there's nothing new about this. If you read at the beginning, the creation account, Genesis, it says God spoke. And then what does the enemy say? Did God say? Same with Jesus and temptation. Did he really say that? And that's constantly the strategy of the enemy to undermine God's authority through his word. God says, but did he really? Did he really mean that? Are you sure? 
And so we've got to be aware of that and prioritize that in our lives. Let me finish because we're going to have communion together. We didn't, sadly didn't have Simon Ponsonby last week. This is one of my favorite stories that Simon ever told me. And um, I'm going to try and get him for our weekend away um, because he owes me big time. (laughs) There was a couple who were Armenian missionaries who used to smuggle Bibles into Iran. And they were on a trip and had some Bibles in the boot of their car. And they, they stopped at a, a shop uh, in Iran to get some water. And there was this huge six-foot-plus warrior soldier. Had a, an AK-47 and a pistol and just stood there. And uh, this was a couple, uh, uh, and, and the wife said to the husband, moved by the spirit, she said, look, we need to give that soldier a Bible well, actually, she didn't say it. She said, you need to go give the soldier. <laughs> she says, go get one from the back. And he's like, well, easy for you to say. And so he goes, get some water, and he gets in the car, and he just drives off. Ignores the wife, which is always a big mistake I've found, personally. And she said, look, God has spoken. You better do as you're told go back so they're driving and then they just turn the car around and go back and he just goes in the boot gets a bible just kind of like almost runs up to him just like throw it at him and then run away and as he gives him a bible and he turns around thinking he's going to get shot he hears a thud and he turns around this soldier is on his knees crying he says to him what's going on and the warrior said three days ago I had a dream. And a voice said, come to this place and there I would receive the words of life. And he'd been there for three days waiting for the words of life. Friends, these are the words of life that people all around our world are dying for. They'll tell you how to live life and do life and ultimately meet the giver of life. So please, church, let us not be casual about God's word or neglect it. It'll be times where it'll be challenged. It'll be times where it'll be unpopular. But let's be a remnant people who say no to the world and yes to God's word. Let's blow the dust off this Bible and tuck in. My daughter, Elsie's four, been desperate for her own Bible. She came to me the other day and she was reading it upside down. And she said, hey dad, look what it says. And she got it out upside down. It says, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. And I looked at it and there were just maps. <laughs> it's like, she's got the gift of interpretation. friends let's not be lax about it but let's be lovers of God's word for there we will meet Jesus thank you for listening to the whole vineyard podcast we would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church to find out more go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect and stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church 
go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.